from the eyes of a civil rights attorney to the ears of the people in pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness in the postmodern age of relative truths, reality, and information. This is a Land of Lincoln Lawyer podcast. I've titled this podcast, Dr. Rob in the Multiverse of Maskness, for a few reasons. One, I wanted, wanted to make fun of myself. No, I'm not actually a doctor. But did you know that lawyers, when they graduate law school, they, they, they obtain a degree, and that degree is called a, a JD, and JD stands for Juris Doctor. I remember a case vividly in law school reading about an attorney that represented himself, and he demanded that the court refer to him as doctor. They lambasted him, made fun of him throughout the entire... Of course, he didn't win, because he sounded like an idiot. So no, I'm not actually a doctor. Um, and then the other point, too, was, was, was well, there's, there's, there's a new Marvel movie coming out. Everybody's excited about Marvel. Doctor Strange has a sequel coming out, and it, it, it sounds very similar to the name of our podcast here today. So the other point is that the wins and the theme and the discussion point here is masking. The wins in the mask front have shifted over and over again, almost like a multiverse of madness, if you will. So we, if you recall, we went from no mask at the beginning of the pandemic to, to mask, to double mask, to as long as you're vaccinated, then you don't have to mask, to, well, if you're vaccinated or not vaccinated, you should, you should probably mask again. Um, and now because the portal to the universe of madness, when it comes to masking compliance, has started closing, we're now really at a point where mask optional is acceptable. So that's what we're gonna get into here today. And so without further ado, let's get into it. So I have a couple of case updates for everybody. The first one I want to talk about is an appellate court decision that came out on April 20th, 2022 in the 4th District Court of Appeals. This is the same appellate court that dismissed Governor Pritzker's appeal of the temporary restraining order entered in the beginning of February by Judge Grishow in response to Attorney General candidate Tom DeVore's lawsuit asking to enjoin or stop various school districts from imposing covid mitigation policies on its students. So the court dismissed that case. They said that it was a moot, but this one they took up. And in this one, it was teachers, Board of Education in the city of Chicago and various other school districts that were seeking an order to stop the school districts from imposing COVID mitigation policies against the, the teachers, masking, vaccine, testing. The appellate court made a very interesting ruling. It was Relatively short in, in the sense that, you know, it's 12, 12 pages, really, the, the salient material points that you w- would want to read are really in the back two pages. But the holding, essentially, what the court said was that, yes, the Illinois Department of Public Health, as we discussed in my first podcast, is vested with the broad powers set forth in the statute to quarantine somebody, if you will, in the event they're deemed to be a public health risk. But the defendant school districts in this case are not vested with the same powers, but critically, they are not trying to exercise them. They are instead adopting workplace rules for the protection of students and school employees. So the opinion goes on to state that the school masking vaccine policies do not restrict plaintiff's activities, movements, interactions anywhere outside of the workplace. So what does this mean? 
it's a ruling and a temporary restraining order, not a final adjudication on the rights of the parties in the case. So Mr. DeVore, I believe, is the attorney in this case as well. I, he did not lose the case. It just means that Judge Grishow's order stopping those school districts from imposing these COVID policies on those teachers is vacated, meaning the school districts can, at this point in time, impose those COVID mitigation policies on those teachers. And the reason is they said that the likelihood of success on the merits of the petitioners, the teachers in this case, was remote. It was unlikely that they would be able to succeed on the merits. It's, again, not a final ruling on, on the rights of the parties in the case. The, the opinion is hard to follow, quite honestly, and it requires that you consider employees and students not as persons under the Illinois Department of Public Health Act so that the school district's policies do not fall within the purview of the Department of Public Health Act. So it requires that you not consider masking, vaccination, or testing as a form of modified quarantine, which it clearly is under the under the administrative code what the definition of modified quarantine is, which is using a device or procedure intended to stop the spread of respiratory or any contagious illness, if you will. And it doesn't make sense. It effectively, what the court is saying here is, look, the Department of Public Health has the sole authority to impose quarantine measures on an individual. But teachers are not individuals, they're employees. And in their capacity, in their official capacity as employees, the school districts have a right to ensure that there's a safe work environment. Distinguish between employees and teachers. If you're imposing health policy on individuals, is it a, apparently individuals and employees, they're, they're not the same thing. You know, you can be an employee, but you can't be an individual. It's, it's a strange reading. But here, here's the other take home. Um, not only is this not a final ruling on the rights of the parties in the case because it hasn't been, you know, they haven't gone through discovery. They haven't do, done all the things necessary to litigate the case to a final adjudication on the merits. This was just in an appeal at the beginning of the case. So not only that, but also the fact that the analysis is very strange, to say the least. And thirdly, this is a Supreme Court Rule 23 order. What that means, it is non, it, it is non-binding. Yes, this is the first appellate court opinion discussing the Illinois Department of Public Health Act in this capacity. However, it is not binding anywhere. It can be cited as persuasive authority is not binding. So if parties are pointing to this decision saying this is the end-all, be-all, nail in the coffin to the arguments being presented and championed by attorney Tom DeVore, uh, they're wrong. They're, they're flat wrong. So that was the first case I wanted to talk about. The, the second case I wanted to break down was the, the infamous uh, federal district court decision in, uh, in Florida uh, handed down by, by Judge Catherine Kimball Meisel. And this was the federal district court ruling concerning the CDC mask mandate, which if, uh, which if violated, carried with it fines of up to $100,000 and up to one year in prison. So if you, you were violating that on a plane, you, you refused to put on your... Be fined up to a hundred thousand dollars and imprisoned for up to a year. It's excessive much. But what did the court hold in that case? It, it wasn't, you know, as Dr. Fauci said, this court should defer, no questions asked to, to the public health officials. That you know, public health policy should not be dictated by the courts because they are not doctors and they do not understand infectious disease. There should be absolute deference. The court did defer to the CDC. In fact, they expressly stated that accepted the CDC's policy determination that masks stop respiratory virus. Okay, so then how did the court vacate um, the 
mask mandate. This is their reasoning. So it exceeded the CDC's statutory authority, which extended to things such as city buses and Uber rides, effectively infringes upon a state's police power. So we're talking about, okay, you're in an Uber ride, you're in a bus, you're clearly inside of a state. Yes, you could theoretically traverse from state to state, and, and the government has authority and some capacity to exercise jurisdiction over that kind of movement. Of course they do. It's the federal government. But to the point here is is when we looked at the very specific sections of the code that the CDC was citing as a basis to impose the mask mandate, let's just say it was a little nebulous. It was far-reaching, and it was hard to by. They were pointing at a residual clause, which is like basically including but not limited to as a basis to say that, yes, we can impose this policy on people. So it, it exceeded the statutory authority. Additionally, the rule, the mandate itself, was entered under an emergency basis, and they failed to allow public comment, which is usually required when you're imposing a, an administrative rule. It should be proposed, should be 30 days of public comment, and then it becomes effective or they pull it off the table. In this instance, they said, well, no, there's an emergency. We can't possibly give, you know, entertain 30 days of public comment. Problem with that argument is the court identified was you imposed this policy 11 months after the pandemic started. We dealt with not having this in place for 11 months. How can you sit here and say that the nature of the public health emergency at this point in time is so dire that we can't entertain giving the public 30 days to engage in public comment on this new rule. So they violated that. And then additionally, it, it, the court said that basically they failed to adequately explain, the CDC failed to ad adequately explain this decision because our system does not permit agencies to act unlawfully, even in the pursuit of desirable ends. A nonsensical enforcement inciting studies that evaluated universal masking when there is none in the real world. In other words, okay, they're citing to universal masking studies, you know, basically you're wearing masks there's no variables here. It's just you're wearing the mask and it stops the spread of droplets. And as a result, we, we can infer that that's going to stop the spread of a respiratory virus. But the problem with that is that in the real world, in the application, the enforcement of the mask mandate, what they were doing was allowing people to lower their mask. You got to blow your nose. You want to take a sip of water. You want to eat something. So they, the CDC did not adequately explain and identify the standard and explain its relationship to the underlying regulatory concerns so that the reviewing court could determine that the CDC used its discretion appropriately. So the take-home message with those two cases are the following. Well, the, the first one, the state court decision, concerns the state application and local application of COVID mitigations, and it's not binding. And so it has no it, no effect on, you know, Lake County, for instance. And so the arguments being, again, championed by Tom DeVore is still very much have relevancy. And if policies uh, come back, then those arguments can be presented here. Secondly, as to the federal uh, district court decision in Florida, what's the take home there? Well, the CDC and the Department of Justice are appealing that. So we'll see what happens with the appeal. But the opinion is 59 pages. It is blistering. So when I talked about exceeding statutory authority, I talked about the improper invocation of the good cause exception to the notice and comment period, or that administrative agency failed to adequately explain its decision. In other words, you, you didn't provide a rational basis. Your application of the enforcement of this policy is nonsensical. And as a result, it's arbitrary and capricious. That same analysis 
can absolutely be applied because those same kind of enforcement mechanisms in terms of having a mask up or down when you're eating or blowing your nose or drinking water, social distancing, those things, the same policies that, of course, were being adhered to at the local levels. So if schools or local health departments or the governor choose to reimpose mask policies, then, hey, you got to be able to explain that this is actually going to mitigate the spread of the virus. So those are the take-home messages. And so I, I, I wanted to get into next just a background, a refresher on, on COVID generally, and then talk about the, the science. You know, I, I, I'm Dr. Rob in this episode. Remember, behind masking and then talk about constitutional implications. So we'll get into that next. So at this point, I wanted to go over just a background on COVID. You remember in March, the pandemic hit and the WHO was declaring that there was going to be a 3.4% mortality rate. Everybody was just totally freaking out, understandably so. The World Health Organization saying that 3.4% of the people we know were going to die. So people panicked. People pan- I mean, that, that mortality rate, that projection was ridiculously not even remotely within the realm of what the mortality rate truly was. And that's with using the case statistics that we've acquired over the course of the past two years, using faulty testing kits. The PCR test and many of these different testing programs are only under emergency use authorization. None of them have actually received full FDA approval. Many of them have had their emergency use authorization pulled. The PCR test looks and magnifies particles to determine the existence of COVID-19 virus and uses what they call CT values or cycle thresholds. So orders of magnification. And according to Dr. Fauci, if your CT value is 35 or more, then you're only going to detect dead nucleotides, which will result in false positives. The FDA guidelines recommend that the PCR tests are set at 40 cycle thresholds. So what are we doing here? So that that's, that's you know, uh, just background on the testing, the mortality. But going to the mask specifically, the, the science has been settled on this long before COVID. There was a 180 degree flip in April 2020 from public health officials, most notably Dr. Fauci, who gave an interview in March and said, there's no need for people to go out there and grab masks. You know, it may offer some degree of protection, but, you know, not the kind of protection that people actually think it's providing. I mean, that's that's almost a direct quote. I, I know I don't have his voice, his raspy voice down quite right, but that's what he said. And then three weeks later, he's like, go get masks. And the reason why he they, they changed it, the justification was, well, we didn't want people, the, the, the general public to go, go mask, go into a mask frenzy, buy a bunch of masks, and then people in um, health weren't, were going to be deprived of the opportunity to purchase and use masks where they're needed most. Okay, you could buy that, I guess. But what, why did the science prior to the outbreak say one thing, and then they changed their position less than three weeks after advocating for no masking without producing any science. And then you use this kind of this dubious excuse that, well, we just didn't want people to buy all the masks so that medical professionals could have access to them. Ridiculous. I mean, because if you look at the science here, randomized controlled testing is the gold standard of determining whether or not something should or should not be done. Extensive randomized controlled studies and meta-analysis reviews of randomized controlled studies. So that's, you know, a ra- one study is a ram- randomized controlled. You get 20 people that are 
masked, 20 people that are not masked, how many of each group come down with COVID? That's, you know, a randomized controlled study. Doing a meta-analysis is looking like hundreds of those studies. So in each of these have shown that masks and respirators do not work to prevent respiratory virus. There's a Danish study published in November 2020 that evaluated 6,000 individuals wearing a high-quality surgical mask. And they found that the wearing of the surgical mask did not reduce at conventional levels of statistical significance, incidents of COVID-19 infection. In March of 2021, the CDC report indicated there was a 2% decrease in COVID-19 case incidents in a study evaluating areas where there was masking, but there was a 5% margin of error. So what does that really tell you? It doesn't tell you anything. It's that's junk science. There was a meta-analysis produced in May of 2020, face masks failed to provide a significant reduction in virus transmission. Same thing as the Danish study. So then there's a German study, meta-analysis, 109 reports, two meta-analyses going back two decades, studying not necessarily COVID. I think there may have been some COVID studies in there, but most of them is just, you know, concerning respiratory virus, generally influenza. Um, and they found that masking to stop respiratory, and this is studying hundreds and hundreds of randomized control studies, masking to s- stop respiratory virus is not a new concept. And the meta-analysis provides unequivocally that there is no clear scientifically intelligible benefit for masking. And compared the state metrics, so states with mask mandates on average reported 10 fewer cases per day per 100,000 people. They states without without mask mandates, on average, reported 10 fewer cases per day per 100,000 people. Masks don't work. There's no statistically significant benefit to masking for purposes of mitigating the spread of respiratory virus, but there are significant negative side effects. There's a statistically significant correlation of mask wearing and observed adverse side effects like hypoxia, increased breathing resistance, increased blood carbon dioxide, decrease in blood oxygen, Increase in heart rate, increase in blood pressure, decrease in cardiopulmonary capacity, increase in respiratory rate, shortness of breath, headache, dizziness, feeling hot and clammy, decreased ability to concentrate, decreased ability to think, drowsiness, decreased empathy perception, impaired skin barrier function with itching, acne, and skin lesions. Everybody knows what maskne is. Irritation and overall perceived fatigue and exhaustion. There's also statistically significant the degree of bacterial, fungal, and viral optimization from extended mask usage. People people don't replace the masks as frequently as they're supposed to. They don't clean them. You're just literally wearing filth on your face all day long. What do people expect is going to happen? So we talked about um, the two case updates. We talked about masking background, mortality, effectiveness, negative side effects, meta-analyses, and... I want to talk about another kind of critique, which falls in line with something we discussed in the last, at the last, during the last podcast concerning, you know, constitutional implications when it comes to uh, public health policy imposed by administrative bodies. So there, there are there constitutional implications here? Certainly. We talked about some of that. Uh, I also discussed the, the administrative, I think, critique of the federal district court judge uh, regarding the CDC's inability to adequately explain its relationship, its relationship between its policies and the underlying regulatory concerns. And the same kind of analysis applies when it comes to determining whether or not something is rationally related to a legitimate state interest, as we discussed in the last podcast. Here, though, I want to take a different analysis, a different perspective on constitutional theory. We discussed different degrees of scrutiny. We discussed how there's, you know, rational basis, intermediate scrutiny. We discussed 
strict scrutiny, or maybe I didn't discuss that the last podcast, but I'll discuss it here. I think that when we're talking about a respiratory virus and we're talking about mitigation policies and we're imposing mitigation policies in arbitrary ways, making people mask when they're sitting idly in a chair, but uh, allowing them to remove those masks when they're choosing to eat or drink. And, and there's other various examples of, of, of how the nonsensical kind of enforcement of these policies has been rolled out during the course of the past two years. But what has been made abundantly clear is that masks do not work. They portend to mitigate a contagion, but they do not. So if they don't actually serve the intended purpose of is, is that is a device to mitigate the spread of a contagion, they don't do that. They, they, there's actually negative consequences to, to wearing masking for elongated periods of time. It's really designed to stop droplets. That's why surgeons wear them, not respiratory virus. Clothing. There's an interesting point. Clothing can be considered expression under the fir- First Amendment jurisprudence. So think about, you know, war protests, wearing the a hat of your favorite political candidate wearing a, an armband to demonstrate solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. There's any number of examples you could provide here, but but wearing clothing almost certainly could be considered First Amendment activity. And even if it's ambiguous, even if it doesn't say BLM or MAGA or something else on the clothing, wearing something and express with with the intent to convey a particularized message under circumstances where the likelihood was great that the message would be understood by those who viewed it is considered speech under First Amendment jurisprudence. So if masks do not work, what other purpose do they serve? This is the whole idea of virtue signaling, guys. They are symbols of the pandemic. A state-sanctioned reminder on every person of the alleged perpetual state of public health emergency that we've been in for, what, 22 months now? And one's patriotic duty, as we heard many, many public officials, Joe Biden, I'm not sure if Pritzker said it's a patriotic duty. I know Joe Biden said that a number of times. Different state legislatures, different federal legislators have have kind of held that position that it, it it is an obligation to do your part to help mitigate the spread of the virus is one's patriotic duty to do their part in the fight against COVID-19. So individuals being compelled to express a particular message or viewpoint is content-based regulation on speech. So think about this. What, 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 what are you saying, Rob? What are you saying? Okay, so what I'm saying is if the mask doesn't actually stop the virus, okay, what other purpose does it serve? If it serves as a symbolic thing, uh, that 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 you're perpetually reminded that there is a pandemic that you need to be worried about, that you need to engage in active mitigation strategies to 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 save yourself and save your family, to show that you are patriotic, that you're in, intelligent, that you're following what the public health officials are saying. That it's conveying a message. It's conveying a message, and compelling a compelling state interest can be articulated for public solidarity behind mitigation protocols, certainly. But but it's content-based, like I said. It's content-based. And it's not narrowly tailored to serve that end. Making everyone adorn a facial garment in all possible public settings, with the exception of drinking uh, fluid or eating something, without regard to the ins- insignificant statistical benefit, negative mental and physical side effects, fails to take into account other less restrictive means to garner public support in the mitigation efforts and is thusly not narrowly tailored 
to serve that compelling interest. And this is a burden on fundamental right to be free from compelled expression. You cannot be compelled to wear a MAGA hat. You cannot be compelled to wear a BLM pin. You cannot be compelled to wear a mask if it doesn't actually have a medical purpose. If it doesn't have a medical purpose, the only thing it serves is is as a reminder, again, a state-sanctioned message, a virtue signal to everyone who sees you that you're doing your part, that you follow science, that you're patriotic. No, we need, again, I, and I always, I always end my podcast, my recordings, we need to ask harder questions. Why are we being compelled to adorn a facial garment over the most intimate part, one of the most intimate parts of your, your face, your face, your child's face, if it doesn't do anything? If it doesn't stop the virus, if it, it actually makes you sicker, no, this is not acceptable. And, and, and we shouldn't accept when the next emergency appears, when our public health officials ask us to, to, to do our part, be patriotic, to wear masks, to not ask questions. No, you need to do your part. Certainly you need to do your part in pushing back against government tyranny. This has been a Land of Lincoln Lawyer podcast. Thank you guys for taking the time to listen, to learn, uh, as I learn along the way. There are additional subjects beyond COVID that I intend to get into in future episodes, so look out for those, and I, I, I also intend to do them more frequently and hopefully keep them under 20 minutes. Again, I wanted to extend my gratitude for anyone that's taken the time to hear me out, to consider these very important legal issues and to entertain my, my, my dry sense of humor and making fun of myself as being a doctor. <laughs> so from the eyes of a civil rights attorney to the ears of the people, this is Rob Tomei signing off.